Welcome to another podcast of Risen Disciple Making Fellowship. First of all, let me take time to thank those who have rated us or written a review. We appreciate you taking time to do that. It helps us know where we're going. Uh, and what we're going to do today is start like a four-part series about going deeper in discipleship, and these will be called the cost of discipleship. It literally comes to us out of Luke chapter 14, where Jesus told his disciples to count the cost before making the decision to follow him. Uh, he actually told them, anyone that wants to be a follower of mine must hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, and even his own life if he wants to come and follow me. And Jesus wasn't telling us to despise all of our other earthly relationships. He was merely saying that if you want to follow me, you have to love me with your heart, soul, spirit, and power and might and strength so much that all your other relationships would look like that they're neglected. You have to have that kind of devotion to follow God. And as Jesus followed up with this with his disciples, he said, you know, if there is a person that wants to build a, a tower, he's going to count the cost to see if he has enough money to build the whole tower. He'd look foolish if he just built the foundation and then couldn't finish the tower. And if a king had 10,000 soldiers and he was going out to face another king they have 20,000, he would probably say, you know what, let's not fight. Let's get, find a diplomatic end to this. So you have to be willing to know that you're going to commit your whole life to following Christ. Now, not just even at Risen, but in the team church that we're a part of in Oklahoma City that has no place left OKC, we're trying to share the gospel with every person here in the greater Oklahoma City area, which is about 1.3 million people. We meet together on a, a biweekly basis, and we start with uh, COST. And that COST is an acronym that means how do you connect with God? How are you going to obey God? How are you going to share Christ? And how are you going to train others? And we set goals at each one of our meetings for the two weeks that we're away, and we say, this is what I'm going to do to be counting the cost of being a disciple. And then when we meet, we hold each other accountable and say, how did you do with your cost goals? And so what I would like for us to do is just take this time right now to talk about the C of cost. And that's how do we connect with Jesus Christ? Well, basically, there are two major ways that God has provided for us to commune with him and to connect with him. And that is through uh, Bible study, reading the Bible, and to pray. And I want to talk about how God brought some very influential people in my life that literally trained me, they discipled me, they mentored me, however you want to say that. But they had a huge impact in my life on how to connect with God. And the first one was Dr. Bill Stewart in Edmond, Oklahoma. I went to Henderson Hills Baptist Church as a singles minister in um, 1990, and I got to meet Dr. Stewart. And Dr. Stewart was one of these men that just was... Uh, an unbelievable disciple of Christ. Uh, he was well in his 80s when I met him, and his wife had just passed. And when I first got to hear him preach was uh, on three Sunday nights, our pastor gave uh, Dr. Stewart the, the pulpit to teach the Bible to us. And it's the first time he had been uh, in the pulpit for about six months because of his wife's illness. And it was amazing. He would preach 45 minutes to an hour and it would seem like he talked for 15 minutes. He just made you full uh, of the Word of God through the power of the Spirit. You could just see the anointing that God had over him. And uh, he would stand there, and he'd ask you to open your Bible and read along with him. And for that whole sermon, he would never open his Bible, and he would literally quote those scriptures. 
And I was literally amazed about what Dr. Stewart had done. So I wanted to spend more time with him. And so I asked him one time after a Sunday morning service, I said, Dr. Stewart, would you come over to our house? My wife and I would like to make you supper and just get to know you. And he said, you don't have to bribe me by feeding me. He said, you can come over to my house anytime you want to. Well, we finally started doing that every other Thursday night. And I would go pick up Dr. Stewart from his home, and he would come over to the house. We would eat uh, the roast and the uh, mashed potatoes, and then we would go sit in the living room, and I'd just say, Dr. Stewart, talk. Um, I knew that if I could possibly get a hold of half of everything this man had forgotten about the Word, I would be well-equipped to do ministry anywhere in my life. And so one of those nights that he was over there, I asked him, I said, Dr. Stewart, I said, how did you— memorize as much of the Bible as you've memorized. And Dr. Stewart looked down at me and he said, oh, Mike, he said, I never set out to memorize any of the Bible. He said, I have a horrible memory. He said, uh, I would have failed miserably if I tried to memorize the Bible. He said, but what I did do, he said, the way I really believe is this, that if people read the Bible the way that it's supposed to be read, it would be harder to forget than it is to remember. Now, I was just simplistic enough because I'm not a very educated person, but I just sat there and I realized what I just heard was very astounding, very deep. And I just kind of shook my head and without even thinking about it, I said, well, Dr. Stewart, how do you read the Bible? I said, I've been reading the Bible for 10 years now, and I can't stand up and, and just let the words of the Bible pour out of me like that. And he said, Mike, here's what I do in my Bible reading. He said, at the beginning of a new calendar month, on the first day of the month, every month, he said, I choose the book of the Bible. And he said, every morning, as soon as I get out of bed, I read through that book of the Bible. And he said, and in the evening, I choose a companion book for that calendar month, and I read that book before I go to bed at night. So as I get up and as I go to bed, I'm reading the Bible and letting it just meditate in my heart. And he said, now, like, if I choose a long book of the Bible, like Genesis, say, he said, I'll read 25 chapters in the morning and 25 in the evening. And he said, and the new calendar month comes along, he said, I choose either one or two new books of the Bible. And he looked at me and he said, and so, Mike, he said, if, after you've done that for 59 years, you'll know what it says. And I just kind of was drinking this all in, and Dr. Stewart leaned down and looked at me. He said, Mike, you don't have 59 years left to read the Bible. He said, I believe our Lord's going to come back much, much sooner than that. So he said, do the best with what you got. And so one of the things that I've done in the last few years is I have taken that that uh, methodology that Dr. Stewart taught me. I'm not quite as... Uh, spiritual as him. I'm not quite as educated as he was. Uh, I don't have the attention span that he did, and so I can't read like the larger book of the Bible. He said, I find myself comprehending about eight to ten pages of my Bible as I read. So I, I look at a book of the Bible, like for this month, I, I've just started Second Chronicles, and there's 36 chapters. And so basically, I'm reading eight to ten pages a day, so I'm reading like uh, the first 13 chapters the first day, and then I read to chapter 26 uh, the second day, and then tomorrow will be the first time I'll read through chapter 36. So during the month of June, I will read through the book of Second Chronicles 10 times. 
And I said, I've done that now through all the New Testament, a lot of the others. And I call it repetitious reading of the Bible. And I worried when I started trying to change to this method of reading the Bible that Dr. Stewart taught me, because I started thinking, you know, by the end of the month, I'll have seen this over and over again, and I'll start speed reading through it and go, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I know that. And I find myself, I was afraid I'd find myself just reading through the Bible too quickly. But since I've been doing this for almost two years now, I found just the opposite to be quite true. I found that if I by reading through the book of the Bible continuously every day for a month, I start realizing, oh, wait a minute, that ties back to this. And I'm finding more connections about the Bible by reading the same passages over and over and over again to where I'm like, oh. And it's uh, very similar to the discipline of weightlifting, I believe. You know, you're not going to build a lot of big muscles if you go to a gym and you walk into the gym and you pick up one weight and you pick that up and you wrap it one time and you set it down and you go, whoop, got my weightlifting done. I'm going to go on about my life now. If we just go in and read a, a verse or a passage of Scripture and read it once and then move on, it's not going to be strengthening the muscles of our faith. I found that this repetitious reading of the Bible is building my faith in God's Word deeper and stronger than it's ever been before. And it's amazing that by the time you've gone through a book for a month, some of the things that you've seen in there that you have never seen before. And so Dr. Stewart taught me that. And the thing I want to say to you about this is don't just do this because Dr. Stewart said that or because I, I said that. Just be fluid with God. Here are the different ways that people are going through the Bible. And ask God, which is going to be the best for me? And as God quickens or uh, shapes or forms your heart to want to read the Bible, read it. If your deal is to read through the Bible every year, keep doing that. If your deal is to read a book of the Bible for a month and then change, do that. If your deal is to read a chapter a day or whatever it is, keep doing that. Do whatever God wants you to do. I remember when I first started reading through the Bible, uh, my pastor's wife taught me to read some of the Old Testament, some of the New Testament, and uh, five Psalms and a chapter of Proverbs every day. That way you read through the book of Psalms in a month and you read through the book of Proverbs in a month and you're getting a little old in New Testament. And I did that for a long time. and I found it very helpful. But just be fluid with what God is leading you to do to read God's Word. Jesus even told us uh, through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, and, and this is a lot of times what people talk about at weddings, and it says husbands in chapter 5, verse 25 of Ephesians says, Husband, love your wife and be willing to give up your life just like Christ did uh, for his bride, the church, by the washing of the Word. It's the Word of God that's going to wash us. It's going to cleanse us and, and, and shape us and remake us into what God wants us to make. It's all about letting God's Word wash the, the bad stuff, the dross away of our life, so we can be cleansed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to be used of Him the way He wants us to be used. So reading the Word of God is important, and that's just one way to be able to do it. It's something that's been active in my life over the last uh, basically two years. And again, just do what God wants you to do, but be involved in the Word. You're not going to be able to get enough of the Word of God by going to church one day a week and listening to a one-hour sermon or being a part of a one-hour worship service, listening to whatever scriptures are used in that one hour. 
uh, worship service to think that you're going to be strong enough to offset the the trials and the temptations that this world has to bring with you. Get into the Word of God for yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you to what those words that you're reading are doing. Now, another thing about reading the Word or getting the Word into your life is Scripture memory. And um, as I'd started into ministry and uh, God put me at, uh, working with college students and single adults, and um, I felt like I needed a lot more training because I didn't even take the ACT to uh, test to go to college. I got married before I got out of high school. So I never lived a day in my life as a single adult. My wife and I got married six weeks before high school was over. So I moved out of the house with my mom and dad into a trailer house with my wife. So here I am now ministering to a group of people, two groups of people that I had never connected with in any way. And so I was going to different conferences about how to minister to college and singles. And I was in New Orleans in March of 1990. And one of the speakers of this conference uh, was named Roland DeLapp. And Roland was uh, a nationwide for uh, Lifeway, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, for college students. And he came in on the very first morning, and he wanted to lead the session and talk about the importance of Scripture memory. Now, there were about 60 people in attendance at this conference, and about half of them were the singles ministers, and the others were their wives. And my wife was with me. And Roland was talking about the importance of Scripture memory. He said, I want to ask you, uh, have any of you heard this verse before? He said, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is able to discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Anybody ever heard that verse? Well, of course, everybody raised their hand. Yeah, we've all heard that. He said, so if all of you have heard it, if you know what book of the Bible that's in, keep your hand up. And there were a spattering of people that had their hands up. And so he started calling on people and said, what book do you think that's in? And they called on the first person, and he said, Romans. He said, nope, not the book of Romans. He called on the second person, and the person timidly said, Hebrews? Right, Hebrews. So he asked, if you, had, if you thought it was found in the book of Hebrews, keep your hands up. And there were about 12 people that did that. So he asked the 12 people, he said, what chapter do you think that's found in? And the first one said, chapter 4? said, that's right. So if you thought chapter 4, keep your hands up. And there were about four people that kept their hands up. And he said, so out of you four people, do you know which verse it is? And started asking, and it was verse 12. And so he said, now here's the deal. There's 60 or so people here, and you've committed your life to the ministry of God's Word to people. And here's the verse of all the Bible that teaches us the, the potency of the Word of God. And if somebody asks you, how do you know that the Word of God is strong? If you don't know Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, how would you show them that the Word of God could change their life? And then he went on to say, if you consider yourself to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you aren't memorizing three verses of Scripture a week, then he said, I don't believe you're worth your weight and salt as a minister. And I thought to myself, whoa, three verses? That's pretty strong. I'm not sure anybody could do that. And then it was like he was reading my mind because Roland even said, now, some of you may be thinking that three verses a week is too much. And if you're thinking that, here's what I'd like to do. I would challenge you for 13 weeks to, to say, I'm going to work 15 minutes a day, and I want to memorize one verse of Scripture a week for 13 weeks. He said, if you'll take that challenge, he said, I believe that before the 13 weeks are up, 
and you're doing 15 minutes a day, you'll find out one verse isn't enough. And he said, you'll start adding another verse to it. And he said, after 13 weeks, you'll set a new discipline in your life for 15 minutes a day of reviewing God's Word to memorize it. And you're not just memorizing and then replacing. He said, I have a system that will help you be able to memorize these verses and keep them going. He said, at the end of the year, you'll have 156 verses memorized. And so Freddie and I were walking around the Superdome at the lunchtime uh, at the conference, and we started trying to memorize the verse that he had taught us that day. And he taught us on March the 11th, 1990. And I remember that because we put the date on the back of the card before we write the verse on the front of the card. And he taught us Psalm 1611 that says, Thou will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore, Psalm 1611. And he taught us to write the reference before and after so we would remember where the verses are found. But if you'd have been walking around the Superdome with Freddie and me after that day, and it'd been a while since we'd done it, we couldn't even, I mean, we were butchering that verse. We knew it was in the book of Psalms, but we couldn't remember which chapter, we couldn't even remember which verse, and we couldn't wait to get back to look at our notes and find out what it was. And I took that challenge from Roland the Lap and uh, wanted to be uh, adding that to the discipline of my life, to memorizing at least one verse a week of God's Word, because it is living and active, and and it's God's Word that's eternal. Everything else is going to pass away from this earth and this heaven, but not one little dot over an I or a cross of a T is ever going to fall from His Word. So when you're memorizing God's Word, you're memorizing things that are eternal. And so I began that in March 11th of 1990, and I still do that today. I'm not doing three verses a week, but I'm doing two verses a week. And I review these verses constantly, and I couldn't sit and just right now just quote every verse I've ever looked at, but just with a little prodding, I can do that. And the very first verse that we came home from New Orleans and we taught to our daughters, we chose Psalm 119.11 that says, I have taken your words to my heart so I would not sin against you. And the more we have God's Word in our heart, the more strength we have to be able to overcome the temptations of this world. And so not everybody has to memorize Scripture. I don't know that everybody wants to memorize Scripture. I've had people tell me, I can't memorize anything. I was like, really? What's your name? And then they'd say, Mike Booth. Is that your full name? No, it's James Michael Booth. Oh, okay, so you've memorized that. Yeah. What's your address? Do you have to go to the phone book to look up your address? And No, I, I've got that down. And for most people, they even know their Social Security number. You know, it's amazing how many people can spout off that nine-digit Social Security number without even thinking about it. We memorize what's important to us. Um, and what's interesting, my generation, I'm 63, it's interesting of there's a lot of people that are my age that can sing the lyrics of Gilligan's Island, but they can't quote one verse from the Bible and tell you where it's from. We memorize what's important to us. And so if we take a challenge, like Roland DeLapp did, and he said, can you carve out 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes a day? He said, if you can do that, he said, I promise you, you can memorize three verses a week. You may not want to do three verses a week, but if God's Word is eternal, if God's Word is living and active, if God's Word is what washes us and cleanses us and lets Him present us before His Father, holy and blameless, why aren't you willing to hide some of those words in God's heart? 
So I believe that Bible reading and scripture memory are a very important part of connecting with God, and that's the C, the cost of discipleship is to connect with God. But there's another aspect of this that we must not neglect, and that's prayer. I believe it starts with Bible reading because, you know, the Bible to me is God's love letter to us. He's revealing who He is to us, and He's telling us who we are to Him and how important we are to Him. And, and I love to be able to read this, these words that he's put out to see what he feels and what he knows about me. And I long to know his word better. I mean, I remember when Freddie and I were dating in high school, she would write me notes and give me a, a folded up note between classes in the hallway. And I would miss the first five minutes of that class, even though I was sitting at my desk because I was reading the words that Freddie had said to me because she told me she loved me. And she wanted me to know this. And I, I wanted to drink up every one of those words that were on that paper. And I would keep those papers and just keep reading them over and over again just to know how much Freddie loved me. And I believe that's what the Bible is. And once we get into reading the Bible and know his love, then we can begin to pray and open our hearts up to him. And our hearts will be asking according to his word, not according to our wishes. So many of our prayers today are, God, give me a new job. God, give me a new house. God, give me a new car. If I just have these things, I'll be happy. You know what? God doesn't con isn't concerned himself about our happiness. He's concerned about our holiness. He wants us to become like Jesus Christ. Now, when we die and we go off the face of this earth, we're going to meet him face to face. And 1 John 3, uh, 1 tells us that when we do, we're going to be just like him. But this time on earth is a growing process to become more and more like him as we learn to submit ourselves to him and to his word. And once we've read his word, then we can begin to pray his will for our life. We can be uh, knowing that Jesus Christ, the word of God, as John 1, the opening of that chapter said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. As that Word becomes more and more real in our life, and we become more and more like Him, then we can be the vessel that God wants us to be in our world, just like He sent His Son to be the Son of God, the Son of Man in this world. We can become more and more like Him. We will be praying and say, God, fill me with Your Word. Let me be submissive to Your Holy Spirit. Guide my thoughts. Guide my actions. And guide my words to bring glory and honor to You. And then you can sit and just be quiet. Psalm 4610 is one of my wife's favorite verses, be still and know that I am God. And in our prayer time, that's our communion with God. But so many times we're so guilty of saying, God, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, do this. The Lord helps this person's cancer. And amen, thank you. And boom, we're out the door into the world. We never just sit to listen to God's voice. Elijah was depressed. He just won a great victory against all the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And then Jezebel said that she was going to kill him. And he ran away in depression. And he ran all the way down into the mountains, the same mountains that Moses had met with God in. And he was depressed. And, and God was going to reveal himself to him. And he 
then the, the, the earthquake came and God went into the earthquake and then the fire came and it went in the fire and then the winds came and it went in the wind and then there was a still small voice. And then Elijah knew that that was the presence of God and he went to the uh, opening and he presented himself before God. Prayer becomes much more effective when we begin to desire to hear his words more than him hearing our words. And for that to happen, I believe we have to have the foundation of the Word of God, the Bible, to know that. But we have to take time to sit silent before Him. We can make our request known to Him, but we must take time to sit and say, God, what do you want to say to me? So communion between God and man requires conversation from both ways. But I believe God has much more important things to say to us than we do to Him. So if you're going to count the cost of being a disciple, you're going to connect with God. And to connect with God, it comes through His Word and then prayer and submitting ourselves to becoming what He wants us to become for our good and for His glory. And so that's the C of the cost of discipleship. I hope that means something to you. I hope it challenges you. I hope it encourages in what you're doing. And I hope you'll come back and listen to our next podcast as we talk about the O. And the O will be about obeying God's Word. And if you like this, again, we just uh, want to encourage you to write a review of maybe how it helped you or to rate this. It would help us, and we appreciate you listening today. Thank you. <music>